0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His word together. Today, we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today.: So it's exciting that we get to be here. Uh, and, and as we're kind of working through the year uh, from last March, uh, it, it almost feels like, you know these are firsts, or these are brand new, because Good Friday last year. We were at home. We weren't here. And I'm reminded by his mercy and his grace and his provision and his faithfulness and his goodness that we get to be here tonight hearing our brothers and sisters sing, sitting up under the ministry of the word of God. And tonight I want to talk to you about eyewitnesses. Uh, Because eyewitnesses attesting to truth or falsehood uh, of an event uh, are often the most powerful testimony, right? If we really want to know... What happened in a moment, what happened at some location, what happened between two people or between two parties. Uh, if we really want to know what were maybe the effects that, that impacted lives, the best thing to do is to talk to an eyewitness, right? If you, you want to see somebody that actually saw this event, and each witness gives us different information into the reality of the incident. So as we look at something, an incident, an accident, a court case, a disagreement, whatever it might be, As we look at it from different angles, we see different things portrayed. Uh, And if the children frustrate you or bother you tonight, I just want you to say amen. I want you to say hallelujah. Because uh, not a single thing can knock me off my track tonight, right? I know exactly where we're going. We're going right here, all of us together. Amen? Amen. Come on. I love it. This is a sign of a healthy church, right? If babies don't cry, that doesn't mean there's a next generation coming. Hallelujah. I love family services. I really do. I almost want kids to cry, right? It's a good reminder for us, right? That great is His mercy, right? So uh, we look at eyewitnesses because we want to know what actually happened. And in many ways, what actually happened, that's the primary function of a witness, They present a testimony to a reality which forces us to question what we know and what we believe to have actually happened or the truth about that reality. Tonight, we're gathered here on this great Good Friday to look at an event. And this event is not a disagreement between friends. This event is not uh, just some thing that happened in in time gone by. This event is not uh, what actually happened in a car accident or what actually happened in a court case. Tonight, we're gonna look at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And like any event, the trial, the crucifixion, the death of Jesus was something that actually happened in a place at a time with witnesses who saw how lives were actually impacted. And like we said, some people actually witnessed this event. So if we want to know the validity or the reality or the truth of an event, we look at eyewitnesses, right? And and one of these people, one of these eyewitnesses was a follower of Jesus Christ, a man whose uh, name was Levi, but it got changed to Matthew. This man, uh, Matthew, who compiled the gospel of Matthew, tonight we're going to call him the defense. So I want you to say that with me, the defense, right? Matthew is the defense tonight. He is the one who is our defense attorney who is presenting the case, and he's going to be drawing witnesses to the stand, and he's going to be bringing evidence out because we are going to have to bring a verdict out at some point. So Matthew records what's been happening on this day some 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross. He records this event in a way that should cause us to really consider what happened, to really consider the reality or validity or truth behind this event. And he's going to bring these things out. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to enter into the courtroom. We're going to walk into the courtroom. <laughs> oh Yes. Yes. <laughs> As the defense prepares his case. Hallelujah so we're live right here as our story picks up in Matthew chapter 27 uh, verse 11 so if you have your Bibles Matthew 27 verse 11 if you didn't bring a physical Bible with you tonight you can grab one at the connect desk or you can look on the screen behind me as the words will be up there but we're walking into the courtroom as the defense prepares his case and Jesus is partway through his trial where he has just sat before the Jewish Sanhedrin which is kind of like the Jewish Supreme Court so he went there but now he's going to the actual governing authority he's Sitting up under the actual judge that can uh, determine whether or not he's innocent or guilty. So we see him standing before Pilate now. That's where we pick up this case. And the question that we all have to answer tonight is who do we think Jesus is and what is this cross all about? Is this just a good Friday? We don't know why it's good. Is this just some holiday that maybe we worked half days on? Or what What does this event mean? And Matthew's preparing his defense and the question that each one of our witnesses tonight that we bring to the stand will force us to come back to consider in order to deliver an informed verdict. So without further ado, we're going to bring our first uh, first witness to the stand, the governor, Pilate. Mm. Thank you. Hallelujah. And the question that we're going to ask the governor tonight as we bring him to the witness stand... Is Jesus innocent or is he guilty? Thank you, Pilate. Hallelujah. We're going to open here in, uh, in, again, Matthew chapter 27, verse 11. We're going to read a lot of scripture tonight, but you need God's word more than you need my word. Amen? Amen. I'll give a hearty amen to that. All right. Matthew 27, starting in verse 11, as we have Pilate on the witness stand. Now, Jesus stood before the governor... And the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, you have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor, Pilate, was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a a notorious prisoner called Barabbas, or bar Abba, son of the father. So we're looking at a fleshly son of the father, and then we're going to be looking at a spiritual son of the father. Amen? If you follow, say amen. All right. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, who do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who's called the Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they delivered him up, Jesus. Besides, while he was sitting on his judgment seat, his wife sent word to him saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. All the people answered, his blood will be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged or whipped Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So our account tonight begins with Matthew, our defense attorney, bringing Pilate to the stand and asking a simple question. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answers in somewhat of an elusive way, seemingly, you... Have said so, and, and this is important for us because this simple question that Pilate asks, we don't see Jesus speak again throughout, the, his, throughout uh, the rest of this case until a very special moment when he says, my God, my God. He doesn't say another word. He just says, you have said so. And this answer that Jesus gives saying, you said this is who I am. But he's really saying, who do you think I am? Who do you say I am? So this is very important, this beginning question that our defense presents for us because it puts it back onto us to say, who do we think this person is? Pilate has no idea what to do with Jesus. Right? He seems innocent. Pilate says he's innocent, but he knows I can't just let him walk because there's going to be a riot. I can't just let him uh, let him free because the crowd is going to eat me alive. And the crowd already did not like Pilate. Right? There's if you follow any Jewish tradition, you can read Jewish history books to see of a time where they protested in front of Pilate's house, thousands of them laying on the ground because he put a statue up. Right? So they already did not like him. There was already bad blood between Pilate and these Jews. And Pilate ultimately decides, cowardice instead of courage in my opinion, he decides to let the crowd choose between releasing Jesus or releasing Barabbas, a known murderer and a known rioter. Again, the son of the father, Bar Abba, or the son of man himself, Jesus Christ. And they say, give us the murderer, give us the rioter. And Pilate certainly has to be thinking at this time There's no way they want this guy back on the street There's no way they're going to ask for this guy to come back When they've got this innocent one here But I know why they brought him here They brought him here because they're envious of him They brought him here because they're jealous of him They brought him here because they also don't know what to do with him But this crowd, which we're going to get to later, is relentless And they call for Barabbas to be released And he comes out and then Jesus Christ is delivered up To be crucified. And here in the story of Pilate, we find our first question that we have to address Is Jesus innocent or is Jesus guilty? Ultimately, we're gonna have to decide for ourselves who is this Jesus and what is this cross all about? And Pilate, our first witness that we brought to the stand, clearly declares Jesus is innocent, yet the crowd wants him to be crucified, wants him to be murdered. Multiple times, Pilate attests to Jesus' innocence, but the crowd won't listen. They predetermine Jesus' guilt. The witness of Pilate forces us again to ask these questions, and with every witness that is drawn to the stand, we have questions we have to answer. Because if you haven't figured out already, you're the jury tonight. The defense attorney is making his case to you, bringing witnesses to the stand. And you're going to have to make a determination. You're going to have to render a verdict at the end of this case. At the end of the defense's case. And when he gets to his final argument, you are going to have to make a determination. Is he innocent or is he guilty? And the question we're ultimately going to answer tonight is do you believe the crucified Jesus is truly the son of God, the king? As he's being delivered over for crucifixion. This question is on our minds and our hearts. And this is where the story of the first witness ends. Now the defense, Matthew, brought this first witness and sees innocence being determined. And then he now draws a second witness to the stand, a group of soldiers. Hallelujah. Loud. It's supposed to be. It's for effect. Listen for it, Judah. You got to listen real careful. Don't talk. Just listen. Amen. 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 We'll see how far that goes. The question we're going to ask the soldiers as we put them on the witness stand is, is Jesus a criminal or is Jesus a king? And we're going to look at verses 27 through verse 38, and we're going to see uh, the soldiers on the witness stand right now asking the question, is he a criminal or is he a king? Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him. Twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. They put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spit on him. They took a reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of his robe and put his own clothes on him. ...and led him away to crucify him. And as they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall or poison. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots... ...or shooting dice or playing the odds... And they sat down and kept watch over him there, and over his head they put a charge against him which read, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. As the narrative continues, as the case continues, uh, it seems like everyone wants to get on the, in on this action, right? It seems now that this criminal who was just declared innocent by the only person with natural authority to declare him innocent, but he was still turned over to a relentless crowd was now given to soldiers whose job was primarily carry out crucifixions, carry out these assassinations or these capital punishments, carry these things out. So he's handed over this seemingly just declared innocent criminal, handed over to these soldiers who squarely in the middle of the case as, as we have these witnesses on the stand is who is this person? Is he a criminal or is he a king? And this irony that the defense presents here is they treat him like a king and they hold a mock coronation ceremony mocking him as though he thinks he could be king. How dare he approach Caesar like that? They put a crown on his head. They put a scepter, although it was a reed in his hand. They put a robe on him and they they hold this mock ceremony and they say, hail, king of the Jews. And it's clear the soldiers believe that they know, in their minds, who Jesus is. In their minds, he's a criminal worthy of ridicule and abuse because you wouldn't treat an actual king like this and they would never have treated an ordinary citizen like this. If you were to treat a citizen of Rome like this, they would be punished. This was not allowed. Yet their witness of the soldiers on the witness stand forces us to evaluate what we think is going on. Is he a criminal or is he a king? Since the beginning of the defense's argument, the gospel according to Matthew... ...he has been pointing pointing toward Christ's true messianic kingship. The first thing he says about Jesus... In Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, son of David, son of Abraham. He is the king and he is the chosen one. He's been making this case since the beginning of his writings. And Matthew is answering the question, is he a criminal or is he a king? And the irony even continues as Jesus is led out to die uh, in this section of Scripture. Why? Because he's crucified in between two robbers. And, and Matthew now draws, uh, and, and I'm going to draw an expert witness, a guy named Craig Blomberg, who is a New Testament scholar, a great scholar, and says this. He says, doubtless Matthew, or the defense, saw the parody or the joke of Jesus' kingship. Extended with the picture of one criminal on each side of Jesus like a king with his advisors at his right hand and left hand. The defense is clear throughout the witness of the soldiers that they falsely attest to the reality of Christ's kingship. That his kingship would never occur the way that they thought a normal kingship would occur. So they would have no idea to see, is he really the king of the Jews. But they mock him and call him the king of the Jews. But we know today, and Matthew, the defense presents for us, that this kingdom only comes about by one way. It comes about by suffering. The witness of the soldiers again forces us to ask the question, do you believe, Jury, the crucified Jesus is truly the son of God, the king? The the laughs are going to start to turn into a little bit more serious reflections. It's okay, we'll see. So these testimonies continue as we call our next witness to the stand. The witness that I told you we'd get to a little bit later, the crowd. We call the crowd to the stand. And the crowd has to answer this question. Is Jesus crazy or is Jesus the Christ? Let's look at verses 39 through 44. And those who passed by derided him. Or mocked or made fun of or ridiculed him. Ragging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him saying, he saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and then we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if He still wants him. For he said, I'm the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. As Jesus hangs on the cross, we bring this next witness to the stand. We bring this group of people, a crowd who is watching him die. So as you are the jury, as we have this witness on the stand, they stood by and watched a man declared innocent die. And they begin mocking him. They begin yelling at him. They begin trying to use the words that they heard him say against him when they said, you said you'd destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Blasphemy. But Jesus never said that, did he? He said, you'll destroy this temple in three, And I will rebuild it again in three days. Jesus never said he was going to destroy the temple. He told the people, you're going to destroy this temple. And I'm going to raise it again in three days. They, in this circumstance, they think he's not even able to raise himself. He's not even able to, to heal himself or deliver himself. They're looking at him, mocking him. And even those crucified next to him. Could you imagine being an inmate on death row, looking at another inmate on death row and throwing shade at him? saying, oh, look at you, look at what's happening, oh, you can't do this now, you you can't save yourself now, it's clear that these people think Jesus is a lunatic. It's clear that the crowd thinks Jesus is utterly crazy, someone who made extraordinary claims about the things that he could do and clearly can't deliver. This is what the crowd looks like. This is what the witness that is standing trial right here, right now, is showing what their testimony is. But again, the defense is crafty. Matthew is a great attorney. And he begins to sort of introduce irony here again. The the ironic thing that the defense uses here is, especially in his gospel, that all throughout Matthew's gospel, he declares Jesus' kingship. Right? He declares the kingship of Jesus, while John, in his gospel, primarily declares the deity of Christ. And Luke, in his gospel, primarily declares the sonship of Christ. Matthew has been declaring the kingship of Christ as a powerful miracle worker who can always be taken at his word. Matthew, our defense, records all these miracles and yet uses this statement by the witness we have on the stand right now. As the thing that's going to indict them. He outlines Jesus' power throughout his ministry. As the messianic king. He's the one we've been waiting for. He's the one who performed these miracles throughout his ministry. And what the defense now presents, he begins to cross-examine the right, the witness. He's, he's, he's asking them more questions and saying that Jesus is clearly not a helpless lunatic. Look at all these things he did. But rather, he's the suffering servant from Isaiah chapter 53 who willfully is bringing himself to the cross. Willfully, like a lamb led to slaughter, is saying nothing. Willfully is losing his life. Because these are the words that he used. He who loses his life will find it. He who loses his life will save it. So as we look at the testimony of the witness of the crowd. Is he crazy? Or is he the Christ? We have to ask and answer the question. Do you believe? The crucified Jesus is truly the son of God. The king. The defense shows us. These witnesses that all bring testimony to the question that we're ultimately going to have to deliver an informed and wise verdict to at the end of this trial. He shows us what he believes are the answers to all of these questions as he now presents his closing argument. As he delivers this final piece of missing evidence. Right, that there's this evidence that has been out there and and then at the last moment this evidence comes in and this is the piece of evidence that's going to crack the case as we look at the cross. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. At about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Lema, sabachthani?" That is my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine or poison again, painkiller, to put it on the reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs were also opened, and many of the bodies of saints who had fallen asleep or died were raised. And coming out of the tomb after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion, who was an officer in the army, and those who were with him... Keeping watch over Jesus, they saw the earthquake and what took place. And they were filled with awe and said, truly, this man was the son of God. So this final scene, this final piece of evidence as we are here right now as the jury who have to make an informed decision. We're going to have to deliver a verdict of, is this Jesus Who he said he was. Is this truly the son of God? Is this truly a king? And this scene presents, again, this final piece of evidence, this cross of Christ. Hallelujah, right? It presents Jesus on this cross of Christ, quoting David in Psalm 22, saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? Because he cannot Be a party to sin. And Jesus is taking your sin and the sins of those whom he said forgive them. Jesus is up there bearing all of the iniquity of the world. Bearing all the iniquity of every murderer, of every insurrectionist, of every person who has ever committed any sin, any crime. Even a little one to the most heinous of them. And he makes one final cry. Yields up his spirit. In other gospel accounts, he says, it's done, it's finished, it is accomplished, what I came to do is accomplished. But this piece of evidence is very compelling for our case. It's necessary for our verdict because on this cross, as his life expires, as he yields up his own spirit, some crazy things start to happen. Some things that eyewitnesses saw that as this man dies, the entire land goes dark from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. From 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. is what that meant. And there is no chance of a solar eclipse because this was at the Passover. It was a full lunar cycle. There's no chance that this could have been some sort of uh, ecological phenomenon. That it is the bright sun shining in the middle of the day. And the whole world goes dark. Clearly, there's something different about this man. Next, the curtain in the temple separating the holy of the holies, the place that only the high priest could go to access the presence of the living God, rips in half from top to bottom, something that no human being could have done because this curtain was 60 feet tall, 30 feet wide, and four inches thick. No man could have done that. No conspiracy could have caused a curtain like that to rip in half. And then there's a significant earthquake. And then, this is the thing that always gets me. For people who, an eyewitness account, saw this. And people still don't believe in Jesus. People were raised from the dead. Saints raised from the dead. Holy people who went back into Jerusalem and testified. And said, I am I'm raised from the dead now. Why? Because the king is here. Because the king has come. So, for the defense, each of these events, with this final piece of evidence right here, attests to the fact that something is clearly very important going on. Something is cosmically undeniable going on. And as nature itself attests to the significance of Jesus' death, and amid all these events, there's a group of people who recognize that it is through the death of Jesus that reveals who he truly is. That this, this lieutenant... Or this officer in the army sees all this happening and says, truly, this man was the son of God. That this was no ordinary death. That they were accustomed to death. They were soldiers. They were executioners. They would have seen crucifixions happen. They've seen many people breathe their last breath. And never before has this happened. But it's revealing something very important. That they are seeing what they likely believe as heaven's wrath. That this man declared himself to be the son of God. And now he dies. Now, not only he dies, we kill him. And all this stuff starts to happen. That this man, this Jesus, this promised Messiah, this unique son of God and true, cl- true king is most clearly seen in his death. And as we've been looking at for a couple of weeks on last Sunday your actions reveal your identity on wednesday if you were here with us your trouble reveals your song the cross reveals jesus as the son of god the soldiers only confess what the cross is revealing we didn't even need to bring them up here as testimony or as witnesses on the witness stand they they testify to something that is already happening. We see what is happening on the cross. We see these cosmic, undeniable things happening. We see that he is the son of God, the true king, and his kingdom is being revealed, and something is happening that has never happened before. And this kingdom, it is born not of military might or media popularity or political power or prowess. This kingdom has been born through a suffering servant who has gone to the cross to die for the sins of many. And it is through this cross that Christ, as the most ruling king of all time, defeats all other kings, all other thrones, all other kingdoms, all other powers, and he's revealed as the Son of God, not in spite of the cross, but precisely through the cross. The witnesses of this declare truly this man, Jesus, is the Son of God. But the centurion's statement I don't think we understand what that would have meant for him. When he said that, that meant he was now destined to die as well. Because if someone else other than Caesar is the son of God, confessed by a military power, the sentence is death. Because Caesar was the son of God, according to the Roman Empire. So now an officer in the army says, truly, this man is the son of God. Not Caesar, not anyone else. And this centurion's confession, this centurion's statement, not only affirms Jesus as the son of God, but it's also an invitation for us to respond to the reality of the cross. As you have sat in the courtroom, as the defense has prepared his case and delivered the closing argument through the missing piece of evidence, the cross of Jesus Christ, The centurion who saw it all, an eyewitness, says, truly, this man, Jesus, was the Son of God. So he's made his case. He's brought his witnesses. He's given us evidence, and it's led us to the point to see that this cross reveals Jesus as the Son of God. And that for us right now, as we make our closing argument, Jesus is the innocent king. He is the sinless one who went to the cross for the sins of every single one of us. For the sins of all humanity he is the one who laid down his perfect life as a substitute for sinful human beings he is the true king condemned by the injustice of the world to die a criminal's death so that you and i might be set free from our bondage of sin so again when the gospel is presented you can't do nothing Either you choose to accept it or reject it. There is no passive, oh yeah, that's a nice story. No, you are the jury right now. You can't be a conscientious objector at this point. You have to either vote, is he the son of God or isn't he? You yourself have to deliver a verdict tonight. And there is no majority rule tonight, hallelujah, right? It is your verdict alone that affirms what you believe about this man, about this king. We're called to respond by confessing this truth ourselves. So as we reflect on the eyewitnesses' accounts, as we reflect of those we have brought up to the witness stand, of the piece of evidence that has been introduced, as you know in your heart, perhaps I, perhaps I am a sinner. Perhaps I wasn't there 2,000 years ago, but I held Jesus on that cross. Perhaps I didn't say it with my own voice, but my actions shout day after day. Crucify him! Perhaps with my affections I say, give me the murderer and the rioter. Give me the one I know. Instead of the one that's going to have to make me make a decision about real truth. So tonight I hope that you'll confess by faith that truly Jesus is the Son of God. And as we go into this moment of worship, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. There's one final question that you have to answer. The case has been presented to you. Was this man Jesus truly who the scriptures said he was, the Son of God, the true King? Tonight, what is your verdict? So as we sing this song called The Blood is Still the Blood, just allow it to go over you. We have words on the screen this time. It's a beautiful song. We sung it last Sunday. And then halfway through the song, we're gonna have a moment where we're gonna pause. Keith, one of our deacons, is gonna come up and he's gonna share with us a a few words and, and probably invite us to a time of silent reflection. A time where the jury's quarters are closed, and you have to deliberate, not with the person next to you, you have to deliberate with your own heart tonight. And if you say, yes, this man truly is the son of God, I believe that he was the Christ, died, was raised from the dead in three days, and I am a sinner and I am in need of a savior. If you have said that or tonight you do say that, I would invite you to join in the Lord's Supper with us together. If you were here with us on Wednesday, you saw all the events that led up to this moment, to this institution of the Last Supper, to this institution of the Lord's Supper, to this institution of remembrance. So it's still a time of remembrance as we remember back to the events of this case that our defense attorney Matthew just brought out to us and the witnesses have testified to and the evidence has pointed clearly to who this man is. That he is the risen king. He is the risen savior. He truly was the son of God. And your verdict can be rendered right now in your own heart. And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, you can proclaim his death until he comes. Because that is what we're doing. We're remembering what happened and proclaiming that he is the son of God. That he is the true king. And if you've never made that decision, if you have never made that verdict before you've never landed on that verdict before please make tonight the night and if you have perhaps been walking with Jesus for a long time you know that the only reason this Friday is good Friday is because we know we have Sunday but imagine rendering a verdict at the end of that evening imagine just having eyewitness testimonies and seeing these factual events occur what do you do in your heart Because we all have to make this decision in our own hearts. So as we evaluate our verdict, as we go into the jury's quarters for a time of deliberation, I want to invite you to your feet. As we sing this song called, The Blood is Still the Blood, that there has been no judge who has ever overturned this ruling, that this precedent has been set and it will never be overturned. That the blood is still the blood. and It is still the thing that washes us white as snow. It is still the only name above every other name. The name of Jesus that we can call on. And we were still the ones destined for hell. Whom because of this final missing piece of evidence. were are invited into full fellowship with God our Father. In an abundant life here and an eternal life in heaven. Father, thank you. Thank you for the events of this Good Friday many years ago. That as you have drawn us into the courtroom this evening that all of us have to render a verdict. That you won't get let out of your jury duty without saying innocent or guilty. And our answers before us tonight are is he innocent or is he guilty? Is he a criminal or is he a king is he crazy or is he the Christ and the verdict that we are left to determine tonight is do I really believe this Jesus is the Son of God the true King the risen Savior the only hope I have as we consider this verdict As we worship your name, please speak to our hearts. Minister to us in the inward place, in the secret place. We love you, Lord Jesus. We praise your name. And we give your name glory and trust because I know the truth of the cross. And that verdict has been rendered in my heart. Has it been rendered in all of yours? Speak to us tonight, Lord. We love you and we trust you. We ask in the mighty name of the risen King, Jesus Christ. Together we say amen and amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.